Yo, what up, what up, what up, everyone? This is your host, Armand Lee, welcoming you all to a brand new episode of the Quarterly Report Podcast, episode 92. And as one would expect, we are heavy, heavy on NBA Talks this episode, specifically Anthony Davis. We're going to get into that from all sides, from all different perspectives. You're not going to want to miss my takes on Anthony Davis and league-wide issues that people are trying to now spin. You're not going to want to miss that. Plus, my brother, Travis Thomas, host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington. He's stopping by to give us his Super Bowl picks for this upcoming Sunday, as well as some sweet science talk from a big fight this past Saturday night. All that and so much more. But first, our number one story for the week. First quarter. Yeah. Y'all know what time it is. You hear the music. The stylings of one trick daddy. T-double-D, baby. And when you hear this song, man, you know what time it is. Bama, we live in a day and age. As I let the song play behind me. We live in a day and age where everybody wants to go back and forth. And everybody wants to debate. Sometimes... Sometimes it's just best to tell him, shut up. For real. Don't waste your time. Don't waste your energy. Don't waste your effort. Don't waste anything. Sometimes Bama just need to be told to shut up. And this week, for the first quarter of this show, episode 92 of the Quarterly Report, before I start breaking down my my ideas and my rationale and my thought process before I start counter, you know, starting my counter arguments to some of the other topics that people have. I'm telling you right now, if you are defending the New Orleans Pelicans, if somehow you are sympathetic to the Pelicans in quote unquote small markets because of what is going on with Anthony Davis, before I even respond to your points, before I even counter your arguments with my points, I'm telling you to shut up because it's going on far too much. If you have it in your mind or in your heart to defend Dale Demps, shut up. Get your, yo, reconfigure your whole lifestyle, baby. Everything that would, everything, if you are defending Dale Demps, and the New Orleans Pelicans, everything that you think is right is wrong. In all facets of life, quit your job, break up with your girlfriend, change your hairstyle, move to a different country, because your whole life is wrong, baby. Everything. Everything that you are doing right now, with the exception of listening to this podcast, everything else, wrong. All of it. All of it. Because there's no way, there's no way a rational human being can be like, yeah, Dale Demps did everything in his power to build a championship contender around one of the five best players in the NBA. Slim, I am a New York Knicks fan who has spent the majority of my life in the D.C. area. 
When was the last time the Knicks had a top five player? And don't you dare say Patrick Ewing. I love Pat. He's my favorite player of all time. But he was never better than Michael Jordan. He was never better than Akeem Olajuwon. He was never better than Charles Barkley. When he came in the league, he wasn't better than Bird or Magic. And then when David Robinson and Shaquille O'Neal and all these other guys came in the league, he was never better than them. At no point in his career was Patrick Ewing a top five player. Again, I covered the Wizards for over a decade. When was the last time the Wizards slash Bullets had a top five player? Forget about the two teams that I am tied to. Go down the list. When was the last time the Nets had a top five player? The Atlanta Hawks had a top five player. The Charlotte Bobcats or the Hornets or whatever the hell they called had a top five player. When was the last time the Sacramento Kings had a top five player? I mean, I could keep on going. The Portland Trailblazers. I love Brandon Roy. Damian Lillard is a monster. He's top 10. Clyde Drexler was really good. His ass won't top five. The Denver Nuggets have one of the four best records in the league right now. I love Nikola Jokic. I think he's a top 10 player. I absolutely do. His ass ain't top five. The Memphis Grizzlies. The list goes on and on. These entire cities have never had a top five player. The Pelican, the New Orleans franchise has Anthony Davis. And before then, they had Chris Paul. Slim. How is it that they get all of this wrong? No, I am not feeling an ounce. I'm not feeling an ounce of sympathy, empathy, whatever you want to call it, for the Pelicans. If you follow me on Twitter at Quarterly Show or on Instagram at Quarterly Report, this week I put up one of the best quotes in the history of cinema from the legendary movie Major Pain. <laughs> Major Pain is watching these children run through this obstacle course in the rain. And he asks them, you want sympathy for me? Look in the dictionary between shit and syphilis. That's where you'll find my sympathy. And damn it, there was no quote better that I could pull to represent the Pelicans slash small market. Stop it. Shut up. I feel for the fans of New Orleans, but damn it. Anthony Davis leaving the Pelicans has nothing to do with the market size. We got to stop this. We keep going back. We keep making excuses. We keep regurgitating the same old tired cliches over and over again. At some point, we have to come to the conclusion, yo, we, we rip players all the time. And sometimes it's rightful, rightfully, right? You didn't get the job done. You make all this money. You should be able to do this, blah, 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 whatever sport, right? And cool. When you make that much money, that's part of the agreement. You got to sign up for it, right? You make this much money. You get covered a certain way. You're signing up for criticism. 
But front off, like we can't act like these front office execs are making minimum wage. You know how much money Dale Dimps is making? What the hell has he done? Last week I talked to y'all about this. And and I was shocked, even though I shouldn't have been. Right? Because this is what always happens. Anytime something like this happens, we don't ever say, damn, this organization really failed. What we do say is, oh, small market. <laughs> you know what's funny? I, I, you know, I tell y'all one of my favorite podcasts is the Joe Budden podcast. And, and the most, one of the most recent episodes, he's talking about how people nowadays always say, oh, you don't have the right context. And they're not using it the right way. They say, they just say it because people say it all the time. Oh, you took me out of context. So you didn't have the proper amount of context. So people just say it not knowing or understanding what it actually means. Because sometimes people just say dumb stuff and they have all the context needed. You just said something stupid, Slim. That's just what it is. People now in the NBA, they just talk about, oh man, market size. And you just say market size because it's been told to you so much over and over again that teams in small markets can't really succeed and all this stuff. So you just keep hearing it. And what's the thing, right? A lie. If you tell a lie over and over again, it becomes true. Well, that's kind of the situation at hand because we got to stop blaming everything on market size. Number one, there are 30 teams in the league. The vast majority of teams in the NBA are not in small markets. You know, people were calling Miami a, like uh, Minneapolis is not a small market. It's a top 20 market. Denver, it's not a small market. It's a top 20 market. Like all these and and the teams who are large markets, all of them aren't doing well either. Again, I'm a Nick fan. The largest market in the in the nation. It ain't helping us. Matter of fact, the Nets, they have pulled themselves to respectability now, but not because they've signed some huge free agent. They had to pull themselves up with, guess what? A smart front office making a lot of small, smart decisions. It takes time. There is no quick fix. The Nets... We're in a big market and they were trash. And then they found and identified a smart front office exec, Sean Marks. And little by little, one move, smart move, step by step. You can't skip any steps in this process. They were able to pull themselves up. The Washington Wizards, top 10 market. Where's the big free agent acquisition? The Detroit Pistons, top 15 market. Where's the huge free agent acquisition? The Los Angeles Clippers. Like the list goes on and on. Stop talking about market size because it's not the case. Matter of fact, that's on one end of the spectrum. Let's actually look at some not perceived small markets, absolute and true small markets. Look at the Utah Jazz. Look at the Oklahoma City Thunder. Look at the San Antonio Spurs, the Indiana Pacers. These are legit small markets being run intelligently. They're not complaining. The Thunder lost Kevin Durant. And look at where they're at now. 
the Pacers lost Paul George. And look at where they're at now. And yes, I know Victor Oladipo was hurt, but right now they're still a top four team in the East. The Utah Jazz lost Gordon Hayward, and we're going to get to him later in the show. Someone who was perceived to be this great superstar, and look at where they're at now. I don't want to hear it. Yes, Anthony Davis is a monk. He's better than Gordon Hayward. He's better than Paul George. He's, I, I believe, personally on the same tier as Kevin Durant. But hell, Oklahoma City traded James Harden. And then lost Kevin Durant. And look at where they're at. Don't talk to me. Don't talk to me about market size. I don't want to hear it anymore. Because we keep on going back to the same thing over and over and over again. And not addressing the issue. Dell Dips being employed by the Pelicans still to this day has nothing to do with the market size. When the Knicks had Phil Jackson, we didn't blame it on New York. That was just, that was just stupidity. That was ineptitude. Being a poorly run basketball organization. Billy King with the Nets. Nothing to do with market size. Poorly run organization. Stan Van Gundy with the Pistons. Poorly run organization. Ernie Grunfeld and the Wizards, poorly run organization. When Doc Rivers was running the Clippers, Jerry West got there and was like, nah, Slim, you stay your ass on the bitch. This is not rocket science. It's not. We keep on doing and pointing the finger at all these other things. Does it suck for a fan of the Pelicans? Sure, absolutely. Do I feel for the fans in New Orleans? Do I feel for some of the teammates in New Orleans? Hell, Drew Holiday was like, dog, the main reason I re-signed here is because I was wanting to rock with AD. I feel for him. A little bit. But he'll be all right because they're going to, I mean, look, he'll be moved to another city this year. And still, he's got family and roots in New Orleans. Easy said, by me, hey man, you'll be okay. You're just gonna move somewhere else, dog. You you have roots there. I do feel for him. I absolutely do. But for the organization, no, I don't. I don't feel for you at all. You had seven years. Seven years. Cleveland. At first, they had seven years of LeBron, and then they got him for four more years. And they won one championship. I'm sorry. I think there's a bunch of teams, a bunch of teams, small market, medium sized market, large market, who if they had LeBron James for 11 years, they win more than once. The New Orleans organization had Chris Paul, lost him, and then they got Anthony Davis. And what did they do? Omir Sheik, Solomon Hill. The, the list goes on. And, I mean, you look at the Pelicans roster right now. They've got five good players and then a bunch of dudes on the G League. Like, what the hell, bro? How is this the plan? And then you want to ask for sympathy? And it's the same people 
It's the same people. Look, we could uh, we can agree to disagree on a lot of different topics here. And I think that's one of the reasons why I love doing this podcast. I love hearing from you all and interacting with you all because, and I'm going to get to this later in the show, I'll present some wild stuff sometimes. And things in my head, it makes sense. And then I'll be met with so much criticism that I'll, I'm not, I don't feel myself that much that I can't ever be like, yo, I had that one wrong. I was off. Right? I don't just jump on in front of this microphone and just say the dumbest. I'm not looking for that. When I say something, I genuinely feel it, but I can be swayed and I can be moved. So we can disagree on a lot of different things. But on this, I'm not an absolutist, but I don't know if I can be moved. And the thing that annoys me the most, Thursday we'll hear Charles Barkley, and at the time of this recording, TNT has not had their NBA show. It comes on Thursday night. So if you're listening to this, on the first day the podcast is up, later on tonight, Charles Barkley will get on television, and I'm sure he'll do the same thing that he always does and complains about this day and age. The players, they always want to leave, and yada, yada, yada. And I just don't know how no, how how that can stick. Charles Barkley forced his way out of Philadelphia. And then after a successful first few years in Phoenix, he's forced his way to Houston. So out of all the people who complain about players nowadays wanting the easy way out, Charles Barkley, nah, he doesn't have that right to to complain because he did it the same way. He absolutely did it. People keep on saying, oh, Michael Jordan and Larry Bird and Magic Johnson never did this. You want to know why? Magic Johnson got drafted number one overall to a team that made the playoffs and who had the all-time leading scorer on his team. Magic Johnson never had to worry about not having enough talent because he always played with James Worthy and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like, come on. Larry Bird had Kevin McHale and Robert Paris, Dennis Johnson. And then on the, on the team that many say is the greatest team of all time, they had Danny Ainge and Bill Walton coming off the bench. Michael Jordan never won a playoff series without Scottie Pippen. Michael Jordan retired and the Bulls won 53 wins. And then when he came back, they got Dennis Rodman, Tony Kukoc, Steve Kerr, Ron Harper. They had a squad, bro. So yeah, Michael Jordan never had to leave. Magic Johnson never had to leave. Larry Bird, none of these guys had to leave. You want to know why? Because they always had a squad. The only two players that I can think of who have won a championship at some point or another without having a legit, like, devastating lineup is Olajuwon's first ring and Wilt's first. But outside of that, look at all the teams who win. Bill Russell had a team full of Hall of Famers. Jerry West won once, but he had Wilt. Go down the line, man. Moses Malone, Dr. J, Doug Collins, all were on the same team. Shaq and Kobe. The bad boy Pistons. Joe Dumars, Isaiah Thomas, Dennis Rodman, Mark Aguilar. They just had a squad. 
So we're supposed to get upset now that players are moving in instead of relying on an organization in the front office who clearly has no idea what to do. These players are now taking their futures, their careers, their legacies, and putting it in their own hands. And now everybody wants to gag all crazy and then be sympathetic to small markets. Get out of here. Get out of here. If the Utah Jazz, if the Utah Jazz could do what they're doing while losing an all-star, if the San Antonio Spurs can do what they're doing, look at what they've lost due to either, you know, upset, right, with the or a player being upset with the organization or retirement. Look at what all the Spurs lost. They've got a better record than the, the Pelicans right now. Oklahoma City lost Kevin Durant and James Harden. I don't want to hear it anymore. I don't want to hear it anymore about small markets. You not being able to compete in the small markets. No, if you're a small market team, you can't compete if you do the same thing that the Knicks do. And guess what? The Knicks can't compete because they got a dumb organization. So it doesn't matter which city you're in. Doesn't matter your market size. The Pelicans were blessed with a top five player and they squandered it. Don't ask me for sympathy. Because if you do, I'm telling you to shut up. But I will ask you to keep on listening to the podcast. You like that? I did. Make sure you guys follow me on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E -E -E Show. Follow me on Instagram as well. I'm at Quarterly Report there. And you can always email me at Quarterly Report at gmail.com again we spell quarterly here q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e -E -E, report all right guys i got that off my chest but man you know what there's still something else revolving anthony davis in this trade scenario that really irks me it's getting under my skin and i'm going to talk about that more in quarter number second quarter influence is something that no one can take for granted and i feel that many of us are, have been, and will continue to be swayed by people because of their influence. And what do I mean by that? There are certain people, no matter their platform, no matter where they are, what they do, they will have a certain level of influence. And the larger the number of people who have the same shared bias and still have a strong platform, they then become influential and sway public opinion one way or the other and that's in any realm that can pretend that that's regarding wherever you want to take it to you don't have to look that far in our everyday lives whether it's politics whether it's you know what, what is the buzzword i just saw the fire festival documentary and there's all these quote-unquote influencers and i'm keep on i think to myself when i was looking at the documentary and they were talking about all these quote-unquote influencers you know taking a pic on Instagram of this orange tile and that was enough to get X amount of millions of people interested in this fraud music festival. And I, and I took a second to think to myself, yo, as a society, how lame are we that a complete stranger can quote unquote influence our opinion, our desire, our, you know, dollar. That's wild. But then I, I scale things down to my life because no one's going to influence what I listen to or 
what which musical acts I'm interested in or how I dress, things of that nature. But I can absolutely, if I'm being 100% honest, I've been influenced by my sports opinion. Absolutely, we all have. And it's something why I appreciate people who try to at least look at things from other perspectives and then try at least to think outside the box for a second, for a moment, to have their own independent thought, their own independent mind. That's what some, that's something that I strive to do here on this show. But this week, all oh, the influencers, the, the, the IG models in the basketball world, you know, the, the people who, who have jobs in, in the modeling industry or the, like I said, the influencers in entertainment and basketball, they out in full force this week. And I don't know if everybody can peep them, but I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to address it. Not too long ago. I want to say it was the 2015 NBA draft. Maybe it was the 16. Now nah, I was definitely 15 when the Boston Celtics had this this variety, this buffet of picks. There was this growing movement among members of the media that called it the Godfather offer that the Boston Celtics made reportedly, not just to the Charlotte Hornets, but also to the Miami Heat because the Boston Celtics coveted Justice Winslow. And apparently this Godfather offer was this buffet this array this a this a wild array of picks so they could move up to draft the duke swingman and miami turned it down charlotte turned it down miami ended up drafting justice winslow charlotte drafted frank comiskey and i'll never forget bill simmons zach lowe and all these other people man chris mannix Oh, the Miami Heat were insane for not taking this godfather offer. Oh, my goodness. The Charlotte Hornets were insane for not taking this godfather offer. You want to you know what that godfather offer was? It was a bunch of highly protected picks that ultimately conveyed, materialized to second round picks. Like Dallas had a heavy protection. I forget another team had a bunch of heavy protections. It was ba- ultimately that trade, the quote unquote Godfather offer, ended up becoming Terry Rozier and a bunch of second round picks. Which Godfather is that? That ain't even Godfather Part Three. That's Godfather's Pizza. Who was my man? Uh. What was he? Henry K. The Bama, the 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 30-30-30 dude, the black Bama, who ran for president a few years back from the on the GOP side. Oh, what was that man? Like Kane something. That's not even Godfather's pizza slim. That's not even your homeboy's godfather who only saw him like two times in his whole life. That's no type of godfather offer. Terry Rozier being the best thing to come from it. Have y'all not noticed what Justice Winslow has done this season? The tail end of last season? You absolutely take Justice Winslow, especially at his current contract, over Terry Rozier in the poo-poo plat. Terry Rozier in the pips? Get out of my face. 
And yes, Charlotte ended up making an awful decision, right? They took Frank Kaminsky, I think at number 10. Devin Booker was still there. Miles Turner was still there. Just because Charlotte made the wrong decision does not then mean that they should have traded for a bunch of second round picks in a, in a D minus version of Kimba. So I start thinking to myself, who were these people who kept on bringing up this quote unquote Godfather offer? And again, I go back to Ben Sim Bill Simmons, Zach Lowe, Chris Mannix. And then I start thinking, oh, they all have something in common, don't they? Yeah, they're all connected to Boston. Bill Simmons doesn't pull any punches. He's a Boston fan. Zach Lowe, we can have a discussion on Zach Lowe. And, this, and I say that as someone who likes his work and listens to his podcast. But he's been anointed kind of, I don't want to say the godfather, right? But he's been anointed like the king of quote-unquote intellectual basketball fandom. And again, y'all know how I get down on this show. If I name you, then I, obviously there's a certain level of respect that I have for what you do. The people who I don't respect other people that I won't name because I don't want y'all to then start Googling like, oh, let me see what this person says because that's that's the rabbit hole. That's how they get you. So I have the utmost respect for Bill Simmons, Chris Mannix. Chris Mannix is one of the few people who talk basketball and boxing. So obviously I'm a fan of his. But hell, we're not going to fake like he's not a Boston guy. Zach Lowe, used, he'll say it. I used to cover the Celtics, da, 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 da. But, you know, that was a long time ago. I used to be a fan. I'm not that anymore. And that's cool. I got no problem with it. But Zach Lowe also was on his most recent podcast, and he was talking about how Boston may or may not be able to get Anthony Davis without Jason Tatum being in the package. And I'm like, what? Huh? How are we doing the math on that? I'll give you a story. Like I said in the first quarter, you know, I like to be upfront with you people. You know what I'm saying? I can be moved. And the reality, this past weekend, I rattled the feathers of a lot of people on Wizards Twitter. Y'all was in my mention something serious this weekend. Y'all was not feeling it. I gave my idea on how the Wizards should reset. I think, and I've thought for a while, the Wizards should blow it up. And as it stands right now, Otto Porter's trade value is you could get an expiring contract. You may be able to get one young prospect, but you're not going to be able to get multiple. And because his contract, his salary is so high, a young prospect is not going to be able to be equal in the trade. So you end up having to take back bad contracts also. And that's not going to move the Wizards forward in any significant way. I don't believe that John Wall straight up can be moved. I think you have to add multiple sweeteners, i.e. picks. So the only thing that the Wizards, in my estimation, can do to get out of this funk, this malaise that they're in, is trade the guy that everybody wants. And that guy is Bradley Beal. So in the midst of this long, drawn-out plan that I have for the Washington Wizards, which I will not go, go through right now, I suggested that Bradley Beal get traded to Boston for Memphis's pick, Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward. And I got met with such harsh, vociferous backlash, right? That I wasn't stubborn. I was like, oh, maybe I'm misreading this completely. Maybe I'm selling 
Bradley Beal short. Full disclosure, I don't rate Bradley Beal as high as most, I'm assuming most of you all listening to my voice and most people in the, around the league circles, right? Fans, analysts, whatever. So I got hit so hard with that. My, one of my good friends, like I, t- I talked to him last week, my man, Ian McCoy, one of the biggest Wizards fans that I know, he been, I, I, before I tweeted that out, I texted through to my partners in the group chat, and he was like, nah, you can get better than that. And then, sure enough, I tweeted out, and 90% of all the responses were like, this is crazy. I say that to say this, because I think no matter how high you rate Bradley Bill, because I'm assuming you listening to me right now rate Bill higher than I do. No matter how high you or your friends or the coaches or the analysts rate Bradley Bill, we all would agree that Anthony Davis is at least three tiers above Bill in the hierarchy in the NBA in terms of talent and prospects. Right? I think that's a fair assumption. So if Memphis's top five protected pick, Jalen Brown and Gordon Hayward is too is not enough for Bradley Bill, then how the hell could Memphis's top five pick, Jalen Brown, Al Horford, and the Clippers lottery protected pick be anything close to getting Anthony Davis? Even if you added Boston's own pick, how is that enough? Because Boston's going to be picking, what, 25, 24? Even if you added the best pick between the Clippers or the Sixers, which at best, the Clippers, I don't know if you guys have paid attention, they're a playoff team right now. So the best that pick is going to be is going to be like 17, 18. Again, if I was crazy for saying Memphis is top five protected, Gordon Hayward and Jalen Brown for Bradley Bill, if I was crazy for saying that, like that's not enough value for Bill, how the hell is a 18th pick, a 25th pick, Jalen Brown and Al Horford, how is that a starting point for Anthony Davis, one of the five or six best players in this league? You see what I'm saying? All of these people, all of these quote-unquote influencers, the basketball influencers, the people with the platform and the influence in the NBA keep telling us over and over and over again that Boston has the best assets to get Anthony Davis. And I'm sorry, man, that's not passing the smell test. Let's look at the Celtics' assets. If you are to believe that the Celtics have the best assets to get Anthony Davis, there is no doubt that Jason Tatum must. All things regarding the Celtics have to start revolving around Tatum. There is no coy. There is no doubt. There is no maybe. Tatum has to be involved in that package to get Anthony Davis. Because if he's not, then what are we talking about? I happen to like Jalen Brown. I think Jalen Brown is a good player. He had an amazing season last year. But there is no doubt that his trade value has dropped significantly. Now, we could debate why his productivity dropped, 
And I think rational people can be un can understand not only has his role changed, his opportunity has changed. And he has publicly gone back and forth with the face of the current Boston Celtics organization, Kyrie Irving. So there's a lot of things that we all can point to in terms of why Jalen Brown is struggling this year compared to last season. Be that as it may, his productivity has dropped. Just like Brandon Ingram's has dropped or Kyle Kuzma's or Lonzo Ball's. So don't tell me that Jalen Brown is significantly better than or in terms of a, a, a trade chip is better than Kuzma and Ingram and Lonzo. I'm not rocking. I'm not. But everybody keeps telling me the Celtics have the best assets. So let's go through the list. They have Memphis's top five protected pick, which is amazing. However, when you look closely, Memphis is about to be a seller. Let's say Memphis does what they hope to do and trades Mike Conley and they trade Marcus Hall. You telling me that you don't think that they're going to get a top five pick? Hell, they may have a top five pick right now. Think of the teams right now. The Knicks, the Cavaliers, the Suns, the Hawks. And guess who? You guessed it, the Memphis Grizzlies. So they may not even be able to convey this pick this season. Now, I don't know the protections on that pick. I'm assuming they probably have two years as a top five pick, and then it moves to a top 14 lottery pick, and then God knows what happens to the protections. So that top five pick protected could very well become a, a lottery pick, a top 14 pick. Well, that doesn't sound that enticing, does it? So let's move on. Jalen Brown, this Memphis's pick, the Clippers pick, right? Which is lottery protected. So if the clip if the Clippers were to fall off a bit and not make the playoffs, that pick also can't be conveyed this season. But if things stand the way it does now, the Clippers are the eighth seed in the Western Conference. Their record is better than the eighth seed in the East, the seventh seed in the East. And more than likely, the sixth seed in the East. Maybe not because Brooklyn is playing red hot. But let's say that it's better than the bottom two seeds in the Eastern Conference. Then you're looking at the 17th pick in this year's draft. Best case scenario. So Jalen Brown, a pick that you can't convey this year, and the 17th pick. And then add Boston's pick. And then at Sacramento's or the Sixers pick, whichever one is best. Well, Sacramento's right there in the running for a playoff spot. So if they don't make the playoffs, you're looking at the 15th pick. You see what I'm saying? In a draft that people say is 10 deep, you're getting a bunch of picks at the 16, 18, 25 range. And a pick that you won't be able to convey this season. Don't talk to me about how that is the Godfather offer. That's the best offer you can get. That's crazy to me. And the people who keep on talking about Boston having the best assets are the same people who told me about the Godfather offer four years ago. It's not a coincidence, guys. Think about it. Think of the number of people with Boston ties who are in the basketball media. Seriously, I'm not even trying. This isn't some Nick conspiracy theory. 
Do the math in your head. And yeah, absolutely no. I'm I have a bias. I'm a Nick fan. I do my best. I don't get in front of this microphone and talk to y'all spewing silly Nick stuff. Right? In fact, I don't even really talk about the Knicks that much because they're not interesting. They interest me, but that's because I bleed orange and blue. I know there's nothing interesting about this team. But even before I found out that Anthony Davis did not want to re-sign other play in any other city other than LA, I was saying the Knicks should offer Chris Dops, a former All-Star. Granted, he's coming off of ACL surgery, but guys bounce back from those all the time now. But Chris Stops, Kevin Knox, a top 10 pick from this past season, Tim Hardaway Jr., right? Or Ennis Cantor. Ennis Cantor's an expiring contract. So let's use Ennis because an expiring is more valuable than Timmy. Ennis Cantor, Chris Stops, and Kevin Knox. That's what my initial offer, you know, trade machine-wise was if the Knicks were to get involved with the Pelicans. And then all the reports saying, you know what, the Knicks, they need to offer their unprotected pick to even have a chance. And then I was saying, yo, that's a done deal. If at this moment right now, we can offer our unprotected first round pick for this season, you do it if you're the Knicks. That doesn't sound that biased, does it? An unprotected first round pick, Chris Stops, Przingis, an expiring contract in the top 10 pick from just last year. So if I'm biased, right, which I granted, I do have a Nick bias. Let's compare the two. The Celtics can't get you a top five pick this year. And by all accounts, the player that the players that you want will be going in that top five range. The Knicks at the worst will be five. So you have a top five pick. Jalen Brown. You know what? Forget this, because at this point, we're not doing the silly stuff. If the Celtics want to get Anthony Davis, they got to put Jason Tatum in. So Jason Tatum versus Chris Stops. Who is, I think Tatum is the better prospect because Kristaps is coming off of injury. But I don't think it's by that much. Maybe this is where my bias shows. But I don't know. Jason Tatum has all-star potential. Kristaps is an all-star. Kristaps also is 7-3. Kristaps also can sell tickets. But even if I rock and say that, you know what, Tatum is the better prospect, which ultimately I do believe that he is. I don't think that the Celtics offer, if you add a bunch of mid-round firsts, then Trump, Knox, and an aspiring contract. So if you want to say that the Celtics offer is better than the Knicks offer, cool. I got no problem with it. But I don't think I'm that biased by saying that one is significantly better than the other. But everybody keeps saying that the Pelicans should not move until Boston, who has the best trade assets, can get involved. And I'm just thinking to myself, man, y'all the same Bamas who told me that they had the Godfather pick, the Godfather offer. I will speak to my bias. I don't hear these other people saying anything remotely close. And if we are to flip it and again, be honest, why is it in the Pelicans' best interest to wait? Let's be serious now. For Boston in their mid-round picks, because the longer this plays out, we think that, or the, the conventional wisdom is, you know what, you get more people interested. 
And what I'm saying is, I actually think it's the opposite now. The more I think about it, the longer this plays out, you're phasing certain teams out of the sweet stakes. The sweet stakes, easy for me to say. And what do I mean by that? Right now, I think Houston should absolutely get involved and try to get Anthony Davis. They were willing to give up Eric Gordon and four first-round picks for Jimmy Butler, who also was going to be a rental. Anthony Davis has a full year after this season. Houston clearly thinks that they are a championship contender. If you are willing to give up four first-round picks and Eric Gordon for Jimmy Butler, that should absolutely be the starting point for a trade for Anthony Davis. But it's not just them. Toronto has went all in on this season. Would I trade Pascal Siakam, multiple future firsts, Valanciunas or Ibaka, DeLon Wright or Fred Van Vliet, whichever the case may be, because that then makes Toronto, I think they are a contender for the championship this season versus Golden State. But if they get Anthony Davis and Kawhi Leonard, they could absolutely win the championship this year. And then your selling point to Kawhi gets significantly greater. But if you don't make the move this year, Toronto may lose Kawhi this offseason, so they're not going to make the trade next season. Same thing with Milwaukee. Milwaukee can get involved right now. They are going for it right now. You wait until the offseason, they'll be like, all right, well, whatever. We're not going to have them for a full year next year. We're not going to do it. All of those teams could be and have been reported to be interested in Anthony Davis right now, and the Pelicans are going to wait because of a because three mid-round first picks, that doesn't make sense. Like, honestly, does that make sense to you? Because I don't I don't see the logic there. If I'm the Knicks, as a Knicks fan, right now, Chris Stops, Knox, this year's unprotected first-round pick, Ennis Cantor, those are four valuable assets. Cantor, because, again, that's like $19, $20 million coming off your books. But let's say the Knicks, if they wait, and the Knicks do get the number one overall pick. Okay, well, then now all that stuff is not on the table anymore. Because now, in the abstract, I'll give you a top five pick. But if I know that pick is turning into Zion Williamson, I'm not rocking. Because this is leverage. The longer the Pelicans hold on to Anthony Davis, the less of a haul they will return. This is simple because they will they are losing leverage as each day goes on. You may ask yourself, Armand, you crazy. Like if you're the Knicks, why, why would you offer your unprotected pick now? But once you know you have the number one pick in the offseason, you wouldn't. And you know what it's like? Remember the movie, The Social Network? It's the movie about Mark Zuckerman and, and Facebook. And... You know, it's not it's nothing completely unique to any business, but I use Facebook as the example because we saw the movie. We are familiar with how everything turned out. Zuckerman in, in his dorm room with a few of his buddies, they say, hell, we're going to start this business. And you know what? You'll 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 front the, the financial side. So you're going to be worth you're going to take like 35 percent. You will we'll split it. And then what happens? Facebook blows up. 
it makes all this money, and then he shortchanges his homeboy. I 100% believe that in the abstract, when they're in their dorm room and they don't know what the future lies ahead, just talking, yeah, man, you know what? You'll get 35% of whatever we bring back. And I think he meant it. But saying you'll get 35% of an idea is a lot different than when you're saying, yo, where's my 35% of X amount of billions of dollars? Same thing happens when you got a, a couple and they're about to get married. And they'll say, yo, man, we don't need a prenup. We love each other. And God bless them. All y'all out there who are married or about to get married or thinking about marriage, I hope it works out. But then one of the people in the relationship hit the jackpot, right? They get this crazy amount of money, whether through business or investments or what have you. And then people in their family are like, yo, we need to come up with some type of safeguard to make sure you are protected financially. When you're about to get married, it's like, yo, we'll split everything. Everything is 50-50. But then when, once somebody gets some money, oh, well, hold on now. We got, we got to think this through. The same thing happens here. In the abstract, have all of this. But once you actually have something, the pick right now is just a pick. You know it's a top five pick. It's not Zion. It's a chance at Zion. If the Knicks get the number one overall pick in the lottery or whomever team, if the Bulls are trying to get Anthony Davis and they get the number one pick, if the Suns right now talk about you can have DeAndre Ayton in our pick, but then once they know they have the number one overall pick, oh, well, things change completely then because you know what the asset is. So now is the time. And I haven't always felt this way, but I do right now. I'm genuinely serious. And look, I know Anthony Davis is not coming to my New York Knicks. I, I had 24 hours of the pipe dream, and now reality has hit me. It's not happening. But if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, the longer you wait, the less of a return, the less suitors we're talking about. And if you're waiting for Boston, because of their, the potential of a bunch of mid-round, first-round picks in Jalen Brown, who, by the way, will be entering his contract year, and Gordon Hayward or Al Horford. And then possibly, according to Zach Lowe, possibly Jason Tatum. That's, that's what you're waiting for. That's the... That's the hall. That's the team with the best assets. That's the quote-unquote Godfather offer. We got to really start looking at the people who have the influence. We got to start really looking at the people in the NBA spectrum, the people who keep on pushing the narrative that when you look back, you realize, oh, well, they were so wrong just a handful of years ago. There is a certain group of people who have a certain bias who they will not tell you. They want to tell you, unlike me, that they have passed this bias. But they keep on pushing for the notion that once you just touch the surface, you don't even have to scratch it. Once you touch the surface, you realize, man, something's some looking funny right now. It's looking funny in the light. You can keep on following the NBA influencers. 
and follow them to Pablo Escobar's deserted island in a tent with it rain and eating a bologna sandwich. Man, that joint won't even fry it, bro. You could do that if you're the Pelicans. And go ask the Bamas who were interviewed for those fire festival documentaries. See how that turned out. Or see how it would have turned out if you're the Miami Heat. And instead of having Justice Winslow at an extremely, extremely valuable contract, you'd have a bunch of second-round picks in Terry Rozier. We'll see how that, how that goes. All right, guys, you heard the horn. That was about 50 minutes of Anthony Davis talk, man. Sheesh. We all won right now this week on the Quarterly Report, man. I want to thank each and every one of you all. We have questions, but since this pod seems to be going pretty long this week, I'm going to save, I'm going to save stoppage time for next week's show. So for all you all who hit me up this week, don't worry. I got your emails. I got your tweets. We will answer those questions next week and a few weeks later on. But we just run it super long for the show, and I want to get to halftime. And halftime is here, and... The first month of 2019 is almost in the books. In fact, depending on what day it is, we are in February as you listen to me speak right now. However, there are a lot of people who still need advice. There are a lot of people who still need to know what moves they should make moving forward. And of course, me being the man of the people, I have decided to open back up the call center. That's right, the quarterly report call center, man. Where you have questions and I, I've got answers. Take a listen. This is the Quarterly Report Call Center, where we take your questions and give you the best advice around, whether it be from athletes, entertainers, or anything in between. I am your call center host, Armand Lee. So, first caller, what's your name, where you're from, and what's your question? Hey, what's going on, Armand? Love the show. This is LeBron from Los Angeles by way of Akron. My question to you this week is, I have no idea who I'm going to pick to be in the All-Star game. I've got the first overall pick, and there are a lot of guys who are deserving of that pick. you have any idea who I select first? I'll shut up and listen. All right, LeBron. Well, you know what? Thanks for the call. You know what? This is the easiest thing in the world. Look, everybody wanted the NBA All-Star selection show to be televised. And what better way? What better way? For, to bring in this new televised event this year would be the first. Then for you, LeBron James, who has the first overall pick to select Anthony Davis number one. He wasn't even voted a starter. I don't even know if that, those are the rules. Like, the starters obviously have to start. But, yo, if you pick Anthony Davis number one, oh my God, that would be the best television ever. Like, the, the internet would run wild. I don't even know if you can do it. You know what I mean? Obviously, he wouldn't be able to start. But still, you basically would be forfeiting a starter. But Anthony Davis is better than most of the starters anyway. So, yo, LeBron, I don't know if it's against any of the CBA rules. I don't know what the rules are or should. This shouldn't even be rules, honestly, for an all-star game. But they are televising you picking the all-star game team alongside Giannis Antetokounmpo. There would be nothing better for television purposes or NBA Twitter purposes. There wouldn't be anything better than the, for the league than you to 
select Anthony Davis. Even though he just got fined $50,000 for saying he wants to leave. <laughs> Yo, Brian, seriously, do this for, don't do it for me. Don't do it for Laker Nation. Do it for the world. Select Anthony Davis number one, number one with your first pick in the NBA All-Star Selection Show. All right, guys, we got time for one more caller. Caller number two, what's your name, where you're from, and what issue do you have that needs to be resolved? Yo, what's up? This is your boy, Tori, from Toronto. Thanks for taking my call. My question to you is simple. I feel like I'm the best rapper out here. And although I be singing, I feel like none of these rappers take me seriously. I try to call them all out. I've even ripped a few of them to shreds. But I feel like I'm not getting my respect as a rapper. What should I do? Tori, Tori, Tori. What you need to do is sit your ass down. That's what you need to do. Because when it comes to earning respect, I didn't even know you rap. I'm going to be honest. I had no idea. Look, man, I've told everyone this before. You want to feel old? Find out what young people are listening to. Music is the, 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 the ultimate thing to make you feel your age. I got no clue about 99% of the rappers out here today. But, Tori, I know you through the, through the Chick Tape series. You know what I mean? So I'm just thinking you a singer. Man, what you did to Jordan Lucas, who I had no clue who he was outside a few weeks ago, tore him to shreds. And this other dude, Don Q, had no idea who he was. You tore him up. But in the process of you trying to challenge every single rapper alive, this youngin tore you to shreds, Slim. I don't even know Diamond Dog. Again, I know none of these people's names, okay? But I'm I, I'm going down the rabbit hole of Tory Lane's beef, just surprised at how well you could rap. And bro, you need to stop now. Someone in your corner needs to tell you to shut up. Cause she, ooh, she pulled all the cards out. I don't know who she is. I don't know any of her songs, but I know she tore you up. So Tory, I would have suggested to quit while you're ahead. And I suppose, ultimately speaking, you are a little bit still ahead in totality. But right now, you took a crucial L. So shut up, get back to the auto-tune, and sing your little black behind off, bro. Because this rapping stuff, I don't know. I don't know how many lives. You don't have nine lives. You know, she took like at least seven of them joints away. And now you calling up Coles? You trying to get with Cole? Come on, bro. Call it, take the L, and move on. All right, y'all. That's all the time that I have this week. Thanks for listening. Again, this is the Quarterly Report Call Center where we take the biggest questions from your favorite athletes and entertainers and try to give them the best advice available. Until next time, see you then. Honestly, I have no idea about most of these new rappers. Like, I know Young M.A., I know J.I.D., I know Black, and like that's pretty much it. Vince Staples, but I don't even know if he is considered new, but that's it. So when I found that Tory Lanez could rap and he started tearing these dudes up, I was like, yo, what is going on? And then as soon as I was impressed, he got his ass shut up for good. Tory, don't run your mouth. <laughs> that's free. That advice right there is free. 
All right, guys, half of the show is in the books. We have the second half, though, so we got to finish up strong. And I promise you, we will get to the Super Bowl and we will get to boxing. But I'm going to switch things up from the, our normal format. The third quarter is usually where I have my guests. But this week, I'm going to get all the NBA talk out the way first. And I'm going to finish up the NBA portion of this show with our third topic this week. Third so what I've tried to do thus far is cover the Anthony Davis saga, if you will, from all angles. We started the show off with the angle of or the argument that small markets just can't survive in today's NBA. I hope at this point now, even if you disagree with at least some of my rationale, you understand that that narrative is complete trash. It is. Small markets can survive. And small markets, just like big markets, if they are not run correctly, will fail. Your market size really has nothing to do with it. And then in the second quarter, we tried to address the BS that's being kind of thrown out at, at us, that the Pelicans would be best served if they waited to July 1st because then Boston could blow their minds with an offer that is centered around a bunch of mid-first-round picks. I hope you guys can now start to connect the dots that a lot of these people who are in positions of power when it comes to the NBA, be it Bill Simmons, be it Zach Lowe, be it Ryan Rosillo, Jackie McMullen, Chris Mannix, they all have ties to Boston. And no matter how much they tell you that, oh, you know what, I'm not a fan anymore. Oh, I don't like these guys, blah, 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 blah. You can see it. Because don't tell me the 16th pick next year's protected first-round pick from Memphis, the 21st pick and the 19th pick are going to be enough to blow whatever else any other team can offer you right now because I'm not rocking. However, if I'm going to be taken seriously, I got to be straight up. If you listen to this show for any significant amount of time, you know I kind of enjoy taking shots at the NFL. Not the league, but kind of, again, I've said this last week, the pillars in which the league is built upon. Like some of these ideas that people have now just taken as gospel. You need a quarterback to win a Super Bowl. You can't draft a running back in the first round. There's parody in the NFL, yada, yada, yada. The list goes on and on. I take great pleasure at just basically holding a mirror up to these talking points, to these narratives, and showing the world like, yo, these, these ideas don't make much sense. But I'm not the biggest football fan. I'm not the biggest NFL fan. But they can't be, like, that can't exist. I can't be... This guy who loves the NBA and talks for an hour, essentially, on basketball, professional basketball, championing the league and then not not be honest about what's going on in the league that I love so much. And, and we got to be real. Anthony Davis probably ends up in Los Angeles. And that's cool. I've got no problem. If he wants to play for the Lakers... That's his prerogative. He's been in the league long enough. He can choose which team and what city and which organization that he wants to play for. Boom. But the NBA is facing an issue. They are facing an issue when it comes to their league. They're facing the issue when it comes to, I don't even want to say competitive balance because I've, I've told you guys before, 
the NBA has never had parity. But what we are seeing now and how it's continuing to spread, it is cause for concern. The NBA is not broken, but it's severely cracked. And if Anthony Davis goes to L.A., that's going to sour so many people. Because, you know what? I can give you an example better than I can explain it. I'm going to rattle off some names. LeBron James. Kobe Bryant. Shaquille O'Neal, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Jerry West, Wilt Chamberlain, Elgin Baylor. Those are nine. Nine of the best, what, 20, 25 players of all time. And they've all played for one organization. That's nuts. That is nuts. So there is this perception that, yo, the Lakers just kind of, they'll, the league wants the Lakers to win it. And obviously the Lakers have made the savvy moves. The Orlando Magic should have locked up Shaquille O'Neal way before he left to go to Los Angeles. They botched that. That's on them. LeBron James probably should have never left Cleveland. Had he not left Cleveland the first time, I don't think he would have left Cleveland the second time. Cleveland should have built a a championship contender around him. They failed. Some team, I don't even know how Magic went to the Lakers. They traded a first-round pick. That team should have had a protection. They had Kareem and then got Magic. That's insane. But the reality doesn't matter because the perception now is that if you're a great player, you're going to end up in Los Angeles. <laughs> you know what? You're kind of not wrong. At some point, at least there's a large percentage of the truly, truly great players of this league. They end up playing in L.A. for the Lakers. And that's a problem, especially if Anthony Davis forces his way to Los Angeles, though I don't fault him. Now you're hearing rumblings that Kyrie is going to play in the Lakers, play with the Lakers this offseason. That's nuts. It's fun. The league is much better when the Lakers are thriving and when they're good. But if we go from the Warriors dominance straight to the Lakers dominance, I do think that you're starting to like we we are now then approaching a point where people just completely turn off the NBA. Not the diehards like myself. Well, my homeboys, and probably if you're listening to this show, you're probably a diehard too. But the ratings this year has dropped. A lot of that is because LeBron went west and people don't stay up to watch Western Conference teams on the East Coast. But it's also because people think that, yo, I know the it has been built that the Warriors are this juggernaut that cannot be stopped. It was built up before the season that Toronto is not... Like people obviously did not watch Kawhi Leonard much because people don't believe in Toronto. People don't believe in Milwaukee. They think it's just going to be Boston and Golden State, and it may be, may very well be. That's pro- I don't even know if that's the favorite, obviously, for the finals now because of the way Boston has struggled thus far. But I do think all of this plays into a fatigue with this league. You can't stop. They've tried to do the Supermax and the Max contracts and the extra year. 
players don't care about the extra year because they know they can get that year on the on, on another deal. So it sounds good. Oh my gosh, he's turning down two hundred eighty million dollars for a hundred and whatever the case may be, right? Two hundred forty million dollars for one hundred eighty. But in reality, that's the majority of that is just the extra year that you're being offered. The NBA needs to be smart. They need to be they need to start thinking on their feet. And instead of just saying, hey, we'll give you another year or we'll offer you this contract a year early. The idea is simple. We've all heard it before, but I'm going to spell it out as plain as I possibly can. You want to fix the NBA? You want to fix all these teams, all these players grouping up on the same team? Fine. Do away with individual max contracts. You cannot, one single player cannot have a max. There is no max. If you want to pay LeBron James $100 million for one season, go ahead. Do it. But keep a salary cap. Keep a salary cap for the league, meaning I don't know where you would put it up to. Next year's it'll be what 109 million. Raise it up to 120. Every team has 120 million dollars a year to spend on however they want to. So if you want to spend 70 million dollars on Steph Curry, cool. That means you got 50 million dollars to build a roster. Good luck. Having four superstars on the team now, because it's one thing to ask these guys to turn down an extra year or turning down 10 to 12 million dollars a year on their deal. It's something completely different to say, you know what? I got offered 70 million dollars, but I'm going to sign here for 30. There's a there's a huge difference. And if and if the NBA truly wants competitive balance. And all these league, all these teams, 30 teams, they're 30. Well, they're not really 30. But there's like 10 to 12 really, really good players this league. There's seven amazing players. But those seven amazing players are going to cost probably over half of your salary cap. So now this is when the front office earns their keep. Finding the bargains. Think about what this does for to the minor league system, Right? how important the G League then becomes. And owners can make money now, much more money on the G League because the G League is vital because you're going to need those guys that you can get and groom at the discount. It's simple. It's really simple because the way things are going now, people, just as they got tired of seeing the Warriors every year, once the Warriors break up, if Kyrie, if Anthony Davis and LeBron are playing for the Lakers, guess who's going to be in the finals every year? The Lakers. The NBA needs to have some vision, foresight. Stop whatever negative reaction, which will be inevitable if this does play out. Stop it. Cut it off before it builds any real traction. And the way to do it is to do away with the quote-unquote super teams. And the only way you do away with super teams is make players choose, not by 10 or $11 million a year or winning a ring, but by 20, 30, possibly even $40 million. 
Make a player turn down $40 million, not over the course of a contract, over the course of one year. You want to win a championship? You're willing to sacrifice? All right, sacrifice half, sacrifice $50 million. I dare you. Not over the course of five years. No, no, no. Sacrifice $50 million in one year. I don't know how many players would do it. And if I had to bet, I bet that the majority, if not all of them, wouldn't. Let me know what you guys think of my idea, man. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Or email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. And make sure you follow me on Instagram as well. We got a lot of fun, really dope stuff on the IG page. Quarterly Report is the follow there. And make sure you go on over to iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, wherever else you listen to podcasts. Leave a five-star review, but more important, leave a note. Let me, let your friends, let the world know why you listen to the Quarterly Report and why you love it so much, man. I really love the feedback that you guys give me, but if you can write some notes down there on iTunes, that'd be greatly appreciated as well. All right, guys, we are three quarters down, meaning, of course, there's only one quarter left. And this week, we're going to end the show with my guest this week, my homeboy, Travis Thomas. Fourth quarter. I've known my guest this week for over a decade. And true story, man. When we, one of the first times we chilled, like, outside of work, we, up in Baltimore, basically. You know what I'm saying? Watching a fight, at a little get-together, whatever. And... You know, we're we in the basement of, of, of his place at that time, man, chilling and just talking about the future. And here we are a little over a decade later, man. Everybody talks about grinding and hustling and putting in the work, but very few people actually put the action behind those words, man. And Travis Thomas is absolutely one of these people. You can catch him Monday through Friday on NBC Sports Washington, co-host of his own television show, the DC Sports Live, Monday through Fridays. You can catch him on the weekends in the D.C. area on 106.7 The Fan, host of the Travis Thomas Experience and, of course, his website, TravisThomasExperience.com. Man, he's doing everything. My brother, Travis Thomas. Trav, what's going on, bro? And thanks again for joining me this week on The Quarterly Report. What's happening, family? It's good to be back on the show, and I'm so glad you didn't bring up what we were doing in that basement because it was a lot of illegalities. That's a word, right? A lot of illegalities. <laughs> Man, my my, hey, my man, my man just walked by and said, that's not a word. That's not a word. <laughs> Make sure you guys follow my bro on all social media platforms. Again, Travis Thomas, EXP, Twitter, Instagram, the whole nine, man. TravisThomasExperience.com, the website. And Travis, you know, this is one of the best times of the sporting year. Trade deadline is next week. All-Star game is in a week as well. March Madness is right around the corner, and obviously the Super Bowl is this weekend, and we'll get to the Super Bowl in a second. But, man, it's also a great time for, for fight fans, and you, just like myself, are, you are a huge boxing fan. And this past Saturday night, it was the long-awaited return of Keith Thurman, and, you know, it looked a little bit shaky there for the for, for a second. You know, he got the win versus Josecito Lopez, um, but it was a it was a tough, hard fight fought, excuse me, victory where in the seventh round, Thurman was on Dream Street. So my question to start, how would you assess Keith Thurman's performance this past Saturday? And 
where do you think he goes next as this 147 division is a bit different than it was at the time and his departure from the ring? I mean, it's not really that new from when he left before. I just think he was higher up on the, you know, on the totem pole, really, or at least he was thought of in that way. Um, I mean, to me, look, I, I knew coming in this was going to be a tough fight. Right. Uh, Josecito Lopez is no joke, and he proved that. He's tough as nails. I don't think he has the power, uh, really, that one time does. I, I felt like that was really the difference in the fight was uh, Lopez was obviously connecting on shots, but I, I, he hurt Thurman a few times. I felt like he might have stunned him, but to me he didn't really have the power to, to get him out of there. Um, and that was a difference, but man, he was tough. He was a warrior and that's what I expected as far as Thurman. I mean, look, you take two years off, uh, for various reasons. I mean, there were some health things, areas in a car accident. There was a lot going on there. It's not like he he was just chilling on a beach somewhere. Um, but to me, Armand, I'm going to tell you, man, he looked like a guy who hasn't fought in two years and he looked rusty. His timing wasn't great. Uh, I would by no stretch say he got lucky to win that fight, but he certainly had to earn it. And I thought with him fighting Lopez that that was just a dangerous fight to take after a two-year layoff. I would have fought someone uh, a little more bummy than that personally, but uh, kudos to him. He's never really ducked anyone, and I feel like he's right. continuing that now. You know, Absolutely. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my guy Travis Thomas, host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington. And you bring up an interesting point because, you know, Keith, to his credit, with the exception of maybe one fighter, he's always gotten in there with the best, you know, and, you know, he was built up. I shouldn't say built up because he earned his position prior to his delay um, or his absence. He earned his position. I mean, Danny, um, you know, Sean, I mean, he's been in there with some, some really impressive fights, fighters to get to his status, but I think that may play a part in his downfall, if you will, because he took such a tough opponent to start for his comeback. Like you said, if you don't do anything for two years, you, of course you're going to be rusty. And he clearly had ring rust, whether it was discipline, activity, stamina, his chin, you know. Um, but I, I fear because he wasn't stripped of all of his titles that the public and the governing body won't allow him the necessary tune-up fights because, he, again, he hasn't fought in two years. It's insane to think that after not fighting for two years, after he fights one time, he'll be ready to take a Sean Porter on when the first time they fought was a hard-fought, controversial. A lot of people think Sean won the first fight. And, of course, obviously, I don't think he wants any smoke from Keith, or not Keith, from Arrow. So where do you think Keith goes next? Do you think he takes another tune-up fight, or do you think he jumps right into the lion's den with a uh, Sean Arrow or maybe even a Pacquiao? I think he's going to fight Manny Pacquiao, and I think it's going to be out of default. I think Manny thinks there's a Floyd fight uh, to be had because he's looked uh, pretty impressive his last few fights. Although I was I was watching the show, um, it's called uh, it's like called All Access on Showtime, and it follows the fighters. Uh, leading up to the fight, and obviously this one was about Pacquiao and Broner. And there's a show when the fight is over called Epilogue, and it's basically the night that was, and it shows the fighters right before the fight, and then the the, the fight at, highlights obviously, and then like the um, you know post-fight press conferences. Right. And there's there's a moment backstage 
Adrian Broner is walking backstage complaining. This is after the fight, complaining about how he won the fight, which we don't even have enough time to get into how absurd that is. But uh, he's complaining. He's like, they know I beat that boy, blah, blah, blah. And he runs into Floyd Mayweather. Now, you know they've had a tumultuous relationship, the two of them. So you can tell, bro, like, if me and you see each other in the street, it's love. You could tell how they approach each other. It was kind of shaky, right? And so Broner says to him, he daps him up, and he says, hey, man, they robbed me tonight because they want to see – uh, you and Manny fight again, so go get that money. Floyd is basically consoling him, like, hey, man, keep your head up. Don't worry about it. And he real smooth, Armand, like a player. He's like, I, I ain't fighting no more, man. But, hey, you keep your head up. And Broner says it again. Nah, man, go ahead and fight him, man. Go get that. Nah, I, I, I'm good. I'm not fighting him. So, to <laughs> me, that was as telling as I've ever seen because it was a real moment. We know how calculated Floyd is. And that was – it just seemed, like, very genuine. Like, he was so passive on even the possibility. Like, nah, I'm good on that, bro. You know, you keep your head up. Uh, right. So I, I really don't see that fight happening. And because of that, uh, I think it's going to be Keith Thurman there for Pacquiao by default. I mean, you know, Spence, Bud, none of those guys, Lomachenko, none of those fights make sense, in my opinion, for Pacquiao. Keith Thurman is a guy who will absolutely take that fight. And i got to tell you something. We've seen Pacquiao fight on free TV before with ESPN. I would love to see a free Keith Thurman-Manny Pacquiao fight on network television, and the ratings would be that rival of an NFL football game. Well, I don't know about a, a football rating, but I do think the ratings would be very high for those. But I do worry – However, because especially when it comes to the PPC guys, they are all migrating toward pay-per-view, trying to get this pay-per-view money. Um, Manny Broner a few weekends ago. You've got Errol Mikey coming up soon. Um, Just a a really, I don't necessarily know how smart and how wise that business model is, especially because of Dazon, but that's another topic for another day. Once again, guys, I'm joined by my bro, Travis Thomas. Make sure you follow him on all your social media platforms at Travis Thomas EXP. He is the host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington. Make sure you check it out Monday through Friday. Check your local listings as well as check out 106.7 The Fan on weekends for the Travis Thomas Experience as well. And head on over to TravisThomasExperience.com. The brother, you know how to you know how to make money. You know, he's got a lot of um money streams coming in man so going over to travis thomas experience.com he's got fitness sports lifestyle and even gambling tips and this is where we're going to end this conversation travis obviously super bowl sunday is this upcoming sunday everybody knows it and it's kind of poetic when you think about it the bill belichick tom brady era their run their dynasty started versus the rams you know and here we are 19 or some odd years later Completely different Rams team, hell, different city. But you couldn't have, at least on the surface, a more polar opposite. You've got the grizzled veterans and Tom Brady and Bill Belichick versus the new upstart L.A. Rams with Sean McVay kind of leading the charge. So who and what do you expect to see? Who do you expect to see winning and what do you expect to see Come Super Sunday. Well, listen, it takes money to make money. So I'm I'm betting these games. I've been betting all season. I had a really 
a lucrative NFL season. There you and go. So you know, if you, if, if you want to know how to pick absolute blowout winners, just get at me. Like my man said, I'm easy to find on social media and my website as well. But for me, uh, coming into this game, the Patriots are three point favorites. That's about right. Um, I do think they'll win the game. I will not be betting on the Rams in this game. Would I be shocked if they win? Of course not. I didn't think Philly. If you I, look, I just remember saying last year simply. There is no shot in hell Nick Foles is going to beat Tom Brady in a Super Bowl. Simple. And what happened? Nick Foles went out and literally played perfect. Because if you look at the box score of that game, Tom Brady was perfect. It was crazy. So I think you're going to have to see a performance like that again from Jared Goff. Uh, Not Todd Gurley. I keep hearing this running attack and all that. Running backs do not win Super Bowls. Quarterbacks do. So if Nick Foles, I mean, I'm sorry, if Jerry Goff can go out and be perfect like Nick Foles was, the Rams could win. I wouldn't be shocked, but I don't see it. I don't see Brady losing two in a row. Uh, I am making a lot of bets around this game, and I'm not betting on the Patriots because that's a favorite. You're not going to make any money betting favorites in this business. So if you want to get those picks, uh, come get at me, and I'll let you know what I'm doing for that game. But straight up, I'm taking the Patriots to win that game. And there you have it. Again, if you want betting tips, picks, advice, whatever the case may be in the t- when it comes to sports betting or sports in general, head on over to TravisThomasExperience.com. Follow my bro, Travis Thomas, on all your social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, wherever else you, whatever, however else you get down, at TravisThomasExp. He is the host of DC Sports Live on NBC Sports Washington. Check them out there Monday through Fridays. Check your local listings. Trav, as always, bro, man, I appreciate you joining me. This week on the Quarterly Report. Of course, man. You know, anytime I'm going to have you back on my show soon, too. It's been too long, bro. Oh, man. Just say the word. I'll be there. And before we go, man, make sure you tell Gary Carter, man, I'm looking for them waves, man. Stop faking. (laughs) (laughs) I got you. All right, guys. That's the time this week for the show. I want to once again thank Travis Thomas for stopping by. And thank each and every one of you all for rocking with me for another hour and a half this week. Again, make sure you follow me on Twitter. I'm at Quarterly Show. That's Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E Show. Follow me on Instagram. I'm at Quarterly Report there. And email me. Any thoughts, things you want me to talk about, things you disagree with me on, whatever the case may be, email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com. Again, Quarterly is spelled Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E. And head on over to iTunes and leave me a five-star review and leave a note to me, your friends, the world, and more importantly, Apple. Let them know why you love the show, man. Those those notes really are helpful, man. So I would really appreciate that. And make sure you check me out next week again as I return with another episode of the Quarterly Report.